0: Hey everybody, welcome into To The Point, here for a rare Sunday edition, but there's stuff happening, I want to talk to you all, we got the Super Bowl a week from today, a week left before it's all said and done, which we're going to preview the the Super Bowl all week, talk about the betting line that's been fluctuating, so we'll get into that this week, but a lot of stuff's happened over the last couple days. And I wanted to react to it all with all of you this afternoon. We also got pitchers and catchers reporting in a little bit in Major League Baseball about a week from now. We got the, to me, the best golf tournament of the year in Scottsdale, Arizona at the Waste Management, which will start on Thursday. So that's upcoming. We got finishing the Pebble Beach Pro-Am this afternoon, which we will talk about, which was great theater yesterday and just watching, you know, a major winner dominate a really difficult course. So that's all coming up today. But let's start with the NHL. First of all, I hope the All-Star game was great. From all accounts, Toronto was a great host, which I'm sure that's true. I push back against a lot of the stuff that comes out through media in particular, when it's directed at a certain place or not just in Toronto, but when a a local media person talks about their market and how great it was and how great a host it was. Um, You know, it can be, it can be fraudulent because it's coming from a person that loves the area, loves the team, loves the market. So I don't take it at, you know, I don't take it completely. You know, I don't just take it verbatim because I think there's some bias there, and I, you got to suss out what's real and what's not. However, I did think back, and I thought Moncton and Halifax was a great host for the World Junior Hockey Championships, and I'm from the area. So everybody has their bias. Everybody does it. But I'm sure Toronto was a great host. It's a good city. It's, it's a good city. It's not a great city. It's a good city. They have a nice rank downtown area is good, all that fun stuff, great bar outside the ring, whatever you want to do. I'm sure it was great. I, however, did not watch a second of the skills competition, did not watch a second of the all-star game, so I really have nothing to add to it. What I, The only analysis I can give you is through my mother, who told me that it was entertaining, Fun, and she was enjoying it, watching the skills come. So I'm happy she had fun, because I always want my mother to be happy. But that's all I can give you. I know Nikita Kucherov, reportedly, this is via Twitter, wasn't giving his whole effort at the skills comp on Twitter were upset about that, and they're in their feelings, oh, you didn't give it all at the All-Star game. First of all, good for Nikita Kucherov, (laughs) good for Nikita Kucherov, I don't care if he gave zero effort, he gave 110%, he leads the NHL in points, he leads the league in power play points, and he's the biggest reason why the Tampa Bay Lightning are still in the mix to make the playoffs he wants to take the All-Star game off, not give a shit about the skills competition, good on him. He doesn't want to be there either. If it was up to him, he'd be in Tampa sitting by a pool during his break. But instead, he has to go up to Toronto around a bunch of people and ruin a day at a skills competition. So, hey, he didn't give his best effort. Lease fans, people there might be upset. I personally don't care. I actually think it's a great thing. You could say it's not a great thing for the league, but I mean, it's all-star games. Are they great for the league or this is just a shit product that people try to, you know, prop up? I'll take the latter. But hopefully it was successful. Hopefully everybody had fun. The kids went down there and got a puck and saw that and I saw team Maple Leafs won, I believe. So they won in their home rink. That's great. Cool. Games are back tomorrow. Good enough. Happy about that. Before we get back to the ice, we have a number of trades to talk about. Starting with the Vancouver Canucks, who I talked about on Wednesday as a team I, I didn't think they had to go all in. You're a good team, you might win the President's Trophy. A better first half than anybody could have imagined. And yet they looked around and said, we could use some more help in the center ice position. And they went out and got the best center iceman available, in my mind. Acquiring Elias Lindholm from their rival, the Calgary Flames. This is the second trade between Calgary and Vancouver this season. If you remember, Vancouver... So Calgary traded Nikita Zadorov to Vancouver in November. So two deals between two teams in the Pacific Division, which is strange. Two Canadian Western teams. So Vancouver gets let on. The Calgary Flames get a 2024 first, a 2024 conditional fourth. Andre Kuzmenko, who was in the doghouse in Vancouver all season, Hunter uh, Borschwitz, who's a third-round defenseman, and Yanni Yanni Yermo, who's also a third-rounder. Hunter is 19, Yermo is 21. (coughs) I like Elias Lindholm. I think he brings a lot to the table. When he's playing at his best, I think he's a very good 180- to 170-foot player. That's where I look at him and I go, nobody's 200 feet, but can you be a little better? And by acquiring Lindholm, you look at the Vancouver Canucks, JT Miller, Besser, Lindholm, Mikheyev, Pedersen. It puts everybody down a peg. Their third line now consists of Dakota Joshua, who I love, Teddy Bluger, and Connor Garland. Been a very good line. Fourth line of Nels Honglinder who's already on his career high in goals, Niles Iman and Sam Lafferty, who was a great pickup from the lease right after training camp. I think he helps their team. He makes them better. They now have a legit one-two punch at center. And I'm thinking about it. I'm going to talk about the Calgary Flames. I think the Calgary Flames did pretty well in this trade. Because I don't think the Vancouver Canucks are going to be able to afford Elias Lindholm. I don't. I think he's going to be a pure rental. But in saying that, it's not like they wreck their team for years to come. They have to sign Pedersen this summer, which is obviously top priority, and they need to get that done. J.T. Miller under contract, Suter under contract, Brock Besser under contract. Garland under contract, Josh, Joshua under contract, Quin, uh, Quinn Hughes, Heronick under, under contract, Myers, Sidorov pending UFA. But the nucleus of their team that's been so successful this year will be back next season regardless. And we'll see how this team does in the playoffs. But you don't wreck your future. You lose a 2024 first, okay? We're going to talk about Montreal. If I'm going to trade a first round pick, I know Elias Lindholm is going to be getting a player in the first round and say Vancouver's picking late 20s, maybe they win the whole damn thing, you're picking 32. The odds of that player being better than Elias Lindholm are slim to fucking none. So I'll take Lindholm over, you know, whoever you got. Whoever that first-round pick is, give me Elias Lindholm, because I think he's better. So when when you do the calculus that way, he's 29, he's motivated, he's playing for his next contract. Could he, you know, have a rough stretch? Maybe. New team. New situation. In Calgary this year, he only has 32 points. He's not having a great season. He had 64 last year. But Calgary's been a mess. They have been the last two years. They've never gotten on the right footing. It's a weird scenario in Calgary. They're blowing it up. You know what's happening. And I feel this whole year has just been kind of a malaise in Calgary because everybody wants to get out of there. Sodorov didn't, didn't want to stay. Lindholm, you can say after the fact he wouldn't mind signing an extension. I don't think he wanted to stay, personally. Hannafin didn't want to sign an extension. Does Markstrom want to be there long-term? They have decisions to make, but I don't, Lindholm is not going to stick around. I think he's been waiting for his next opportunity since the Hubert O'Deal, really. That's when the team went to shit. And that's not all on Hubert, I'm not saying that, but I mean, since that deal, since they changed, you know, Kachuk said, I don't want to be here anymore, their team has not been the same. They have not been able to rebound. So Elias Lindholm is not a Matthews. He's not a McDavid. You might look at him on paper and go, that's not a number one center. I think he absolutely can. I think he's more cerebral. He can do more defensively, help out a line. He's an elite passer. He's got good vision. He skates well. I like this addition for the Vancouver Canucks. As I said, I think he's the best. When it comes to the deadline, I think he's the best center available because Sam Reinhardt's not leaving Florida. They're not going to trade him. You know, Pedersen's not going to be moved. Pedersen can play center, but I mean, he can also play the wing with Lemo coming, which I think they might explore. So, I like it for Vancouver. I don't know if this move was necessary, but they feel they can win this year. That is Jimmy Rutherford. And to his credit, he won in Carolina, won twice in Pittsburgh. He's going to try to do the same thing here, and I appreciate a GM who's trying to win for Calgary. Their fire sale is on. Lindholm gone, Sodorov gone, Hannafin will be traded, Tanev will be traded, maybe Markstrom's traded. Could be other pieces, but then there's players with longer-term contracts like Hubert O and Kadri that I don't think you're going to be able to move. So those are the three names that I have circled as we get closer to the NHL trade deadline, which is on March 8th. In this deal, I think they did pretty well. You get the first, which is what you need in every trade. Check. A conditional fourth, which depends on Vancouver making the conference final. She might have two extra picks in this year's draft. You get Andre Kuzmenko. Andre Kuzmenko is an interesting player in that he was extremely productive in Vancouver in the 2022 2023 season. Had 39 goals. 74 points was great. This season he's played 43 games and he's got 21 points in 43 games with only 8 goals. So while the rest of the team has been, you know, having career seasons, great year in Vancouver, he's been the odd man out. Now some of these things are not like the other. That's kind of been Andre Kuzmenko. He's got a great shot all the talent in the world. And honestly, he could be a fun piece. He signed a deal in, in uh, January 2023, a two-year extension worth $5.5 million. So he makes a fair chunk of money for the production that he's been giving to Vancouver. But then Calgary says... He could be a guy to help spark offense, play the wing, have some more freedom. Rick Tockett plays his style, and I don't think Kuzmenko fit it, obviously. They didn't get along perfectly. He can go play for Ryan Huska, see if he can turn it around, and maybe he's a trade piece for Calgary next next winter if their team is where I think it will be, which is non-competitive. So, I don't mind that. They get Hunter Bershowitz, which is a hard name to pronounce because it's spelled B-R-Z-U-S-T-E-W-I-C-Z. My God. But this kid's 19, and scouts have been calling him the Adam Fox of the OHL. Played U.S. National Development Team Program, then has gone to Kitchener. He has more points already this season than he did last year. Again, he's a defenseman. 69 points in 49 games, 61 assists for the Kitchener Rangers. So, described as a great puck mover, skates extremely well, could be something, could be a find. He's 19, he's a defenseman. Who the hell knows? It takes a while. Defense is a really tough position. You need to be patient when he's not going to be playing in the National Hockey likely for a while. But if you can get a good puck mover, and if you can actually get a player to want to stay in Calgary, unlike Adam Fox, (laughs) hopefully it's not Adam Fox where he goes, yeah, I'm not signing here. Hopefully it's another scenario. But the kid's an American. He came over and played in the, you know, in the Ontario Hockey League. So that's a shift. Seems good. Yermo, 21, plays in Finland in their top league over there. Another third round pick. So if you look at it like this, Elias Lenholm brings in a 2024 first, Kuzmenko, two thirds, and a possible fourth. If you just look at it that way, that's a pretty good return. For Lindholm, who's not coming back to your team, who you know it's better not to keep because your team needs to go in a new direction, and you get all that back. I like it for Vancouver, and I like it for Calgary. I think you can like it for both sides. That's, you know, the old cliché. You know, doing a good deal, both people leave the meeting feeling good. I think that Vancouver is happy because they got the player that they wanted, fills a need, helps their team improve, and Calgary gets some prospects, a player that could turn out to be better in a first-rounder this year. They'll have two first-round picks as of now, and based off what we're going to talk about next with Montreal Canadiens, they're going to be getting another first-round pick. At least one, if not more, over the next couple of weeks. So credit to Craig Conroy and what he did in his first really big move since becoming the GM of the Calgary Flames. Okay. I'm just, you know, I'm trying to be zen today. It's a Sunday, sun's out again, that's nice. It's February the 4th. A week to the Super Bowl, great! Right on Friday, the Winnipeg Jets acquired Sean Monahan from the Montreal Canadiens. I think Pierre LeBrun reported that it was a kind of a handshake deal that Monahan, when he resigned with Montreal, would be traded at the deadline to a contending team. He was a good show, a good soldier for them. And to his credit, I'm going to say this off the top, Sean monahan has been through hell during his career. That year, Calgary made a run to the second round of the postseason. That offseason, he had eight different surgeries. That's not hyperbole. That's actually true. You can go look that up. He had eight surgeries in one offseason. His body's been through hell. He's had the battle through injuries, tough situations. And he's playing good hockey. And credit to him and credit to Montreal for getting that out of him. And the crazy thing about Sean Monahan is he's only 29 years old. Feels like he's been in the league for a long time. But he's 29. He will only be 30 in October, start of next season. And he is a good player. So I'm gonna start off with that. I like Sean Monahan. Is he a game breaker? No. We look at him 35 points in 49 games for a bad Montreal team that had no interest in being competitive. And even if they did have interest in being competitive, they weren't good enough to be competitive. That's a, that's a good season. So, and just looking at it through the Winnipeg lens, they now have their center ice. They, when Shifley's healthy, they can go Shifley, Monahan, Adam Lowry. They needed another center iceman. Vancouver was willing to give up more. For Lynn Holm than Winnipeg was. Kevin Cheveldayoff, who's been the GM of the Winnipeg Jets since they returned to Winnipeg, has never been an aggressive GM in my opinion. He's never been a deadline kind of person. He'll nip at the heels, he'll do things, and I think he's getting credit in that market for pulling off a trade of Substance. And I won't disagree with that opinion, but I don't think Sean Monahan is a game changer by any means. And I think, honestly, at, at, when it comes to just value, I think Adam Lowry is a better player than Sean Monahan. But Monahan will have more points, but to me, Adam Lowry serves a purpose. He does a whole lot of things for a team. He's the heart and soul of the Winnipeg Jets. He's the captain for a reason, but I digress. We look at the theme, Connor, Shifley, Velarde. Velarde's great when healthy. Ehlers, Monahan, Perfetti, Niederreiter, Lowry, Mason, Appleton, Nemestikov, Iafallo, Morgan, Barron. That's a good team. That's a good defensive team that can produce offense. That kind of be a pain in the ass to play against. Hard checking on you all the time. So, looking at it that way. Winnipeg's not fun to play against. Yes, the Maple Leafs beat them twice in the last four days prior to the All-Star break. But they play a tough. They defend as good as anybody. Through 50 games, they have the best goaltender in the NHL, period. In Connor Hellebuck. So they have a lot going for them. And I think Shevelday off and Rick Bonus. you look around and go, we're a good team, why can't we win the Central? Which they absolutely can. Let's improve our team. This team has earned the right to get an upgrade at the center ice position, and Monahan is an upgrade. So Circle gets the square. Here's my thing I got to say this to the Montreal Canadiens. Round of applause. Way back when, when Calgary couldn't find anybody to take Sean Monahan. The Montreal Canadiens did, but they got Monahan, and they also got a first-rounder in the trade. That was the sweetener, a first-round pick to take Sean Monahan. We talked about he's improved, he's done a lot, but the fact that he's turned 35 points in 49 games into the Montreal Canadiens... Getting a first round pick for him to me is staggering. I can't believe it. I saw Frank Saravelli taking a victory lap on Twitter because he uh, pontificated this. Credit to him, and you should take a victory lap because I don't know how they did this. Montreal getting a first rounder for Sean uh, for Sean Monahan. And they got a first-rounder to take on Sean Monahan. That's just elite business by Ken Hughes. Sean Monahan's not a first-round player. He's not worthy of a 1st you are I'm not doing that ever. I can't believe they did it And a conditional 20-27 uh, third if they make the Stanley Cup final. Who was lining up for Sean Mon? I don't think many teams were. That's why the deal got done, so because Winnipeg was like, oh, we'll give you a first. Okay, done. Take him. We promised we'd trade him. You're going to send him to Winnipeg, send him to Siberia. Winnipeg wants to win, and I understand that. And a first-rounder, just like Vancouver, doesn't mean a whole lot. I get it. But if you have a first-round pick in the chamber... Why is it going to Sean M- Is there not something else that will become more intriguing? What about the Pittsburgh Penguins? What did, what did they stink in their first couple games after the All-Star break? Because their team's old as shit, and they're not that good to begin with, and they have bad goaltending, and they say, you know what, Jake Gensel, we're going to move them. Or God forbid something else happens. I'd rather have my first-round pick in the chamber than saying, "Oh, let's just do the Monahan deal now," because we got a we got a break before we have the All-Star break, and then we can make this happen. He'll be there for our first game. Who cares? You have over a month to figure out what you want to do, and this is you know, this is going to it's going to the, to the shooting range, and you have blanks in your gun, getting Sean Monahan. I can't believe the return. I'm stunned by it. I heard it. And I t- I can't believe. It. I. He's a, a good player with a brittle body, and I don't know if he's gonna hold. He could be hurt tomorrow, and it wouldn't surprise me. Good guy, all that stuff. Not even thirty yet. But I don't. And I wouldn't have traded a first rounder for him, ever. Let's. I'm gonna pull out the pending UFAs. And what I think this is done is I think GMs around the league are pissed at at the Winnipeg Jets, pissed at Kevin Shabbal because what's the return going to be on Chris Tanev? First plus now, now that Monahan's off the board. Stamkos say they're not trading him. Reinhardt, they're not trading him. Okay. Gensel. What's that, three first-round picks? <laughs> Is this going to be an NBA deal for Jake Gensel? Eberle, Tara Zucker, Silverberg, and Anaheim, Brady Shea. Carolyn, are they going to deal him? Marciusso. Hannafin. That's why I'm saying Calgary's going to get a ton of picks. Hanniffin, that's a first rounder, Monahan is. So is Tanev. Markstrom, two firsts. Tensely, potentially? To Foley. Some of these teams aren't gonna trade their players because they're on good squads. So I'm looking around going, what if they did it? Could Marc Andre Fleury get a first in Minnesota? Could his old ass get a first rounder potentially, making three and a half? I don't. Maybe. Potentially, I wouldn't rule it out. There's names here. There's a lot of guys. Depending UFA's that aren't that good of players. But also look up and go. There are still players that are going to be available. That I'd like on my team that I think are better than Monahan that I wouldn't have traded a first for. Second rounder for Monaghan, that should be a straight deal. And throw in the 2027 conditional third. Who gives a shit? Okay. If you win the cup, you're gonna care about that conditional 2027 third, but Monahan for a first rounder. Crazy. Good for Montreal. The whole Monaghan experience, to get two first-rounders out of it. And during that time frame, really, their team did nothing. You can make an argument he did nothing because the team did nothing. <sighs> Craziness. Todd McClellan is out as the head coach of the Los Angeles Kings. Had lost 14 of his last 17. Had signed a one-year extension back in November. So he'll be paid all the next year to not coach. Had a great start. The team's been creating. They lost to Nashville on Wednesday, and that was, must have been the straw that broke the camel's back. But really, Todd McClellan... Does not deserve this firing in my mind. I blame the players more than anything. Pierre-Luc Dubois has been really quite awful for the Los Angeles Kings. I mean dreadful. We're just gonna be honest here. He's been, he's been horrible. They don't have stable goaltending. Fiala, Kempe have been good. Kovatar's been fine. Byfield's had a good season. Trevor Moore, 21 goals. Good on him. But Dubois has five more points than Mikey Anderson. He doesn't bring anything to the table. Offensively, he doesn't do anything. Dubois has five more points than Jordan Spence. These are all defensemen I'm comparing him to here. True Doughty has seven more points than Pierre-Luc Dubois. Same number of games. I hated the trade to begin with. I thought it was a great trade for Winnipeg Jets. Dubois a selfish, lazy player that he got his money and now he's just kind of riding it. Quit in Columbus. Could argue, you could argue he quit in Winnipeg and now he's here in Los Angeles soaking up the sun. And Todd McClellan takes the brunt of it. LA is a better version of the Ottawa Senators. The LA Kings have had bad goaltending since Jonathan Quick kind of fell off the map and became a backup, and he's been solid as a backup in New York. But they haven't had a starter since, and they have a good roster full of some good players. But Ottawa hasn't had goaltending, and they stink. Unless you're in the second half and they're out of it. Then they play, you know, like world beaters. But that's L.A. Phoenix Copley, Cam Talbot, Corpus Sallow. They've been putting, you know, tape on a bullet hole, hoping that it'll fix the problem, and they haven't. Los Angeles could put it together and still be a threat come playoff time because they pushed the Oilers to the max the last two years, losing in the first round. Now, I think their recent struggles have screwed them into being a wall-card team. Because I look around and go, I don't know how they pass the Oilers now. The Oilers playing as good hockey as they have. I don't see them catching Vegas even with games in hand because I just think Vegas is a better team than Los Angeles. Vancouver is nearly 20 points clear. Of the Los Angeles Kings, so they need to play good hockey just to be a wild card team, and prefer to face potentially Colorado or Vancouver in the opening round of the playoffs, or potentially Winnipeg, which would be fun if Winnipeg played Los Angeles with Dubois and everything. But Jim Hiller takes over. LA's got an older team: Doughty, Kopitar decisions have to be made is this team worthy can they compete rob blake has to look around and go do i need to trade for a goaltender because cam talbot's not winning you a stanley cup as the starting goaltender period is there a splash move in that could you get markstrom from calgary if you're willing to give up a lot You to go to Columbus route and get Merce Leakins again. I don't think that's going to do it for you. Reimer. I mean, come on. But I feel bad for Tom McClellan because I don't think he should have been fired. I don't think this is a justifiable firing. But this is the way the cookie rumbles. Six coaches have been fired this season. In season, six NHL coaches. Nobody's safe. You go on a bad turn, they're going to fire the coach, hoping for some sort of response. It's worked in some places, Edmonton being the chief example, where they've won 16 in a row, one shot of you know setting a new record. Minnesota, it's been up and down. St. Louis, up and down. disaster. Islanders, too early to say with Patrick Waugh. Hasn't been there long enough. Trying to find the other jobs that I forgot. Minnesota, yeah. But it's craziness in what's happening with these coaches. You're, you're gone before you know it. And teams are willing to pay out contracts hoping to find success. So, The NHL is returning to the Olympics in 2026 and 2030. Just big news on Friday from Gary Bettman and co. The NHL has not been to the Olympics since 2014, if you can believe it. I've always said this. I don't think the NHL players have to beat the Olympics. The Olympics is a brand in and of itself. It's massive. The Winter Olympics, wherever it is, get good ratings. I don't think the hockey portion of it is necessarily the biggest attraction to the Olympics because you can watch hockey year-round. But I'm fine with this. Again, I'm going to watch it, but I don't think NHL players have to be there. I understand why owners and GMs and people of power in positions do not want NHL players there because if you're a GM of T-Max and your player blows out his Achilles, the Olympics does nothing to you. It brings you no revenue, brings you no interest, brings you nothing but potential harm. And you want to be pro labor and you want to be pro player and at least at least make them feel that you're pro player because then you know you have them by the the fishhook, even if you don't really care. But this is good. People are happy, so I'm good with it. Seeing Crosby play at the Olympics before his career is over again, potentially in 2026, he'd be 38. He'll he'll be there. McDavid playing, you know, against Matthews and these different rivalries. Sure, I'm I'm good with it. There's also other best-on-best tournaments that they're going to be doing over the next couple years. I want to find these and really get them right here, because there's a couple different ones, and... So, here we go. So, they're returning to the Olympics. And... Oh, the NHL also announced a four-team international tournament for 2025 that will include Canada, the United States, Sweden, and Finland. The four-nation-states-offs will be held next February in two yet-to-be-named cities in Canada and the United States. And I think it's Montreal and Boston, potentially. Or that might be for the World Cup kind of thing that they're doing. But this is next February, Four Nations. I think it's replacing the All-Star Game. Good idea. Con- Toronto was a great host. Don't, for- don't forget that. But it's replacing the All-Star Game. This marks a new era for international hockey. PA Executive Director Marty Walsh said, We view this event as a building block to a larger World Cup. So, four nations, whatever, World Cup of Hockey, great, good ideas, whatever, replacing an all star game, all love it. Here's the only speed bump for me. And this is a bigger issue. You could say, well, it's a bigger issue than hockey. Russia not being included in in these events. Make it less compelling. It's made the World Juniors less compelling. It'd make the Olympics less compelling. And Russia should be included. Now, Russia invaded Ukraine. Putin is not a popular person outside of Russia that we know of. I get all of that. But I don't see why players should be penalized for their leader. Canada gets to participate. We have a jackass for a prime minister. So, I mean, if we're just basing this, you're allowed to play off world leaders, nobody would be allowed to participate in these events. Biden would have forgot about the event. Trudeau would be offended by the physicality in all likelihood. I mean, Putin being a dictator, being, you know, a bad person, whatever, however you want to label him. I'm not disagreeing with the sentiment, but what I'm saying is Nikita Kucherov should be playing at these events. Will he care? I don't know. Best on best, he might give an effort other than an all-star game skills competition. But Alex Ovechkin, Nikita Kucherov, the Russian players, should be playing. And they're not because of a war in Ukraine. And I just disagree. That does not, Kucherov does not affect Putin. Putin makes his own decisions. Not allowing Russia to compete at the Olympics. Disagree. Not allowing to do this. It's just something I disagree with. And honestly, if the argument is, well, it hurts Russia so bad it'll hurt Putin, I really don't think it does. I think it hurts the people up close and personal more than it does Vladimir Putin the Kucherovs of the world, the Russian players who want to compete that don't get to. That, that's, that's who it hurts. Not the world leader. I don't think he's watching the, the five, the four nations cup, whatever the hell it is. But to truly get this back, Back to the Olympics, back to feeling the competition to back to the feelings in in Vancouver and Sochi, you know, we're, There we're there's an Olympics in Russia you know a decade ago to get back to that true feeling of saying, "You know what this is what it was, this is the true competition. this suit competes at them. Russia needs to be la- allowed back in the fold, and I, some people will disagree with it, I, whatever, just one guy's opinion here. But I don't, I don't agree with Russia not competing. Because they are a better hockey nation consistently over the last 20 years than Sweden. Just are. Finland's been on the rise. Get that. But Russia produces some elite, elite talents in the game of hockey. Outside of North America, they have the largest hockey league in the world in the, in the KHL. the fact that you can say they have one of the biggest one of the biggest leagues in the world and the Russian players are not allowed to compete is it really best on best or is it just you know best on the selective best that we choose based on our criteria? And once again, I'm not saying Vladimir Putin should have invaded Ukraine. But that was one man's decision for an entire country. And that, to to me, the hockey players should be able to wear the crest and play hockey against Canada and against the United States and against Finland and against Sweden if they want to. I mean... Arnia Sabalenka just competed in a tennis tournament best on best every country representing Belarus and on ESPN they don't show her flag which again is stupid but she's won back to back Australian Opens representing Belarus which is connected to Putin and Russia and she's been vilified for Being Belarusian. Thinking about your country and what they've been connected to. I don't want to be connected to some of the things this country's been been doing the last four years. I still live here, but I don't want to be tied into that. Russia's a war zone. Putin's a bad person. Yes. Canada's a soft nation. Canada's got an idiot for a prime minute. All true. I don't want to be connected to him, but unfortunately he's running the country, so he can't do much about it. Vote his ass out. (sighs) But to have the Olympics back, the full effect, feeling like it is what it used to be, Russia needs to be included. No ifs ands or buts about it. And then when you get, when Canada kicks Russia's ass, if that happens, then you know you beat the best. So great, it's back. NHL returning to the Olympics. Is it really back until Russia's? This guy says no. When the when's the war gonna end? I don't know. It's been going on for a long, long time. And that war's kind of been forgotten because of Palestine and what's happening with Hamas. You kind of forget about it. But NHL Games return tomorrow. Leafs Islanders. Rangers. Rangers and Colorado, which should be a fun game. We'll talk Tuesday about Edmonton Oilers chasing history in Vegas against the Golden Knights. But NHL, second half push. Some teams will be on bye weeks after the All-Star break. So, some good deals. Start to feel the energy. Trade deadline looming. Fun stuff in the National Hockey League. Move to the NFL briefly here. The Washington football team hired Dan Quinn as their team's next head coach. They were the last team to fill the position. Oddly enough, they were the first team to fire their head coach in Ron Rivera, so they've been waiting a while to name a head coach. I am not thrilled by this hire for Washington, They couldn't get Ben Johnson. They couldn't get Bobby Slowick. It sounded like people were going back to their old teams to say offensive coordinators to not go to Washington. Dan Quinn was a head coach in Atlanta. And he was successful for a brief period of time. But then again, you look up and go. He choked away a Super Bowl and the team never responded. He hasn't been able to lead, you know, a great Dallas Cowboy defense. As air quotes on that great, past the divisional round. I just feel they were better. They could have, should have found somebody better. Just, you look, you fire Ron Rivera, defensive minded coach. You hire Dan Quinn, a defensive minded coach. Eric Bieniemy was sitting there. I think he would have been a better hire. Again, Eric Bieniemy does not get a head coaching job. I don't know where he's going to be coaching next season because it doesn't sound like he's staying in Washington because Washington's trying to hire Cliff Kingsbury as their team's next offensive coordinator who is reportedly going to go to Vegas. They couldn't come to terms. Washington is now interviewing him. I think that would be a smart hire because he was the quarterback's coach for UFC last, uh, USC last year working with K.O. Williams and the young quarterbacks. So he knows what it's like working with college quarterbacks when Washington drafts Jaden Daniels or Drake May with the second pick overall. But for Josh Harris, first coach hired as for your start here as owner, I'm not thrilled by it. If you're going to hire Dan Quinn, why not hire Mike Vrabel? Maybe Vrabel didn't want the job, but Dan Quinn seems more of a coordinator than he does a head coach. Backwards hat, up in the booth, wearing raggedy clothing, just not a forward-facing, face-of-the-franchise type of coach, to me anyway. I want an offensive-minded coach with, an, with a quarterback coming in with the second overall pick. And if Cliff Kingsbury can be the OC, I'd be happy with that. But just, I think Dan Quinn's a good coach, but I'm not thrilled by the hire. It doesn't inspire me. I don't feel great about it. So a bit laissez-faire in, in Washington with that team. And obviously the Super Bowl is upcoming. Storylines galore with that game, which we will get to this week. But the, I mentioned the Raiders. They were reportedly trying to trying to get Cliff Kingsbury there. Now expected to hire Luke Getzey, who is just the Chicago Bears OC, as their offensive coordinator. Liam Cohen, who is offensive coordinator in Kentucky, would be the Buccaneers OC this upcoming season. Now, last week we talked about the Super Bowl. I guessed the line. I corrected, correctly said, Forty Niners minus one and a half. We're going to take a look at it now, because it's been it's been a few days. Well, let's see. Super Bowl is now. San Francisco minus two and a half. So they've gone up by a point favorite, which is interesting. I thought it would go going down. Now it's going up. Money's coming in on the San Francisco 49ers. I'm going to talk about some of the matchups later in the week and uh, getting it ready to talk about. We'll talk about that later as we get closer to the big game, which is next Sunday, February 11th. The last game of the season. But every head coach is hired. You're getting your coordinators done. After the Super Bowl, it quickly pivots to free agency. And players that will be available. What do the Bears do with Justin Fields? How quickly do they move him? What's What's the price, the asking price for him? Is it Sean Monahan level return? For Justin Fields. Then you have the draft late April. So the NFL never really goes away. They're always at the center of attention. But I'll tell you, one thing that's stupid. I think the NBA does a good job at promoting their athletes for the most part. They show personality. They wear their outfits. It's not a dress code like the NHL. Everybody's in a suit. And it's boring, and it's just—it's kind of archaic. And promoting a product, half of it is just based off personality and seeing people do different things, and you like them. But the NHL has done the NHL for a long time, and why change? Even though you know the sport has really hit a ditch when it comes to popularity, and you know you're trailing baseball now, which is uh, not good to say. But NBA does a lot right. They don't do this right. Did you know the NBA trade deadlines on Thursday? You probably did know because you don't hear about it. But also, it's during Super Bowl week. Do you just want nobody to care who gets traded where? Are the Celtics going to improve their roster because their bench isn't that good? Who knows? It's, it's Super Bowl week. Who cares? Do the Lakers make a move to try to help LeBron, even though they barely beat the Knicks last night without three other good players, three rotation players for the Knicks? Who knows? It's Super Bowl week. Thursday of Super Bowl week, it's the NBA trade deadline. Why? ESPN, Turner, how can you be happy with this? Ugh, I realize there's no games that day, but there's media, and people are there, and you care, and people are flying into Vegas. They don't give a shit about the NBA. Have it last week. Have it the Thursday night before the start of All-Star Weekend. There's a thought. Trade deadline. Thursday, you can have games on ESPN, you can have games on Turner, and then you go to the weekend, All-Star Weekend in Indianapolis. Woof. But, no, let's do it Thursday of Super Bowl week. Kevin Durant was traded last year. Nobody remembers that. Because it was Super Bowl week. And also, by the way, Thursday is the start of the waste management, which you could argue is a bigger deal than the NBA trade deadline. Last trade you can make for the season to improve your roster, trying to win a championship. No, let's do it the week of the, the biggest sport in North America's Premiere event. Yeah, let's do it then. I mean, come on, Adam Silver. What are you thinking? Just stupid. Ugh. But hey. The NBA know what they're doing. They don't need my help. They, 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 do. They know, but we'll see. Joel Embiid might need surgery. He's he was, first. It was the dile- dilemma about playing sixty-five games, so he could be eligible to return. And potentially win back-to-back MVPs, be eligible for All-NBA. Now it sounds like he played hurt, re-injured it against the Utah Jazz, I believe. And he might miss the rest of the regular season. It's that serious of an injury. And this is just awful for the Sixers, for the NBA, But he suffered a lateral meniscus injury that could require surgery. That's all we know at this point. And last night, the Sixers got crushed by the Brooklyn Nets in Philadelphia. They've lost four of their last five. And they're in trouble because Cleveland passed them. The Knicks passed them in the standings. Indiana is kind of on their heels. If they're a fifth seed going into the postseason, on the road, having to play the Knicks or playing the Cavs, without Joel Embiid, I don't think the Sixers are going to win. They could be a first-round playoff exit in year one with Nick Nurse. And based on their team right now, I don't know how they get much better. Trading Tobias Harris, okay, well... He's actually played pretty good for the Sixers this year. Not a whole lot of depth on the bench of that team. Tyrese Maxey's great, but he can only do so much. He's a small guard. He doesn't defend. You want to get Zach Levine to help your team? No, Zach Levine, seizing-ending foot surgery, he's done. A guy people looked at, potentially the Lakers could acquire. He's no longer available. But if Embiid's out for the season, the Sixers' season's done. Period. And I even looked at with Embiid on the floor, I think the Knicks can give them a tough time. The Cavs have played really good basketball the last six weeks. Starting to find their game. We could potentially see Cavs, Knicks in the first round like we did last year. Cavs are not going to be a seller. We got five days before the NBA trade deadline. Does DeRozan get moved? What do the Lakers do? Can Sacramento get a wing player to come on their team? Is like they're a good team that can help? They can help them win? Who knows? But intriguing nonetheless with the NBA and Joel Embiid potentially being out for the remainder of of the season. The Baltimore Orioles sold their team last week, if you missed it, for one point seven two five billion, which is a lot of money, but it's also not that much money in the grand scheme of things. It, six years ago, the Miami Marlins sold their team to Derek Jeter. For 1.2 billion, and in six years, the Baltimore Orioles get sold for 1.725. That's not much of a, a bump. And this is a weird deal where the deal only gets done when the current owner, who unfortunately has dementia, and his sons are running the team, but he has dementia and he's holding. I think he's in his 90s. The deal is only complete when he dies. And the guy who's buying the team from the Orioles is 78. So this is basically, you know, the United States election type territory here with this with this deal. We have one senior, senior citizen buying a team from another senior citizen. And this is older senior citizens, 78, 90s. Oof, that's, you know, that's pushing the grave here. But it's... Orioles are being sold. I, people aren't happy because it's not a huge increase. Baltimore has a beautiful ballpark at Cannon Yards. It's a great place. If you're watching a game on TV, I love watching, seeing Cannon Yards. But oof, that's a bad evaluation. Clearly baseball, not what it used to be, which we know. That's not a shocker. But to only go up by 500 grand, that is... a uh, Oof, that's a tough pill to swallow here. But this week, they then traded for Corbin Burns, who won the Cy Young in 20 with the Milwaukee Brewers. He's an innings eater through 190 innings last year, 200 the year before. When he's on, he's one of the best pitchers in baseball. Orioles won the American League East last season. They want to do it again. Gunnar Henderson, young, great player. Adley Rushman, one of the best catchers in baseball. They have a team where they don't spend a lot of money, but they're competitive because their young guys are so damn good. I like this for, for Baltimore. The sale, it is what it is. I don't care how much you get for your for your crap. but I don't think the league's happy about it. But Corbin Burns adding to this rotation. The Orioles pushing all in, looking around, saying the Yankees did a lot this offseason. They want to be better. The Blue Jays believe they can compete with us. The Blue Jays likely and should believe that they should have won this division last year. The American League East is going to be competitive again. Other than the Red Sox, who have really sold off pieces and are trying to find their way, their biggest move this offseason was bringing back Theo Epstein to be, he joined the team again as a senior advisor and, and, a minority owner. For those of you who don't remember, Theo Epstein was the architect behind the Red Sox winning two World Series. He ended the curse in 2004. He then won another championship in 2013, might have been 2012. But he won two World Series in Boston. He then went on to be the architect at the Chicago Cubs, who won ended a 108-year drought in 2016. So he's ended two curses. He then went to Major League Baseball. He had a huge part in them changing the rules, which made baseball so much more enjoyable last year. Helped the numbers, helped bring the game back, helped everything. I love sports. I didn't want to watch baseball anymore. Watching it last year, I could watch baseball every day. So Theo Epstein has been kind of a visionary, a big success, in growing the game and helping teams that don't win find ways to win. So he goes back to Boston where they fired their president lately. They've traded off piece. They traded Mookie Betts to the Dodgers and the Dodgers win a bubble championship. Every move has been to sell off pieces, not really try to compete. So we'll see what happens with Theo. They're not going to be great this year. I think the Red Sox are going to finish last in the American League East. Spoiler alert. But he can help build a foundation into bringing winning back to Boston. So I'm curious to see what what his role is going to be and what he does for that team. Yesterday I was watching the Pebble Beach Pro-Am. And you just saw a masterclass. Wyndham Clark, a man who won a major last year. Also won the Wells Fargo, two wins in under a month. He started off 2024 with a bang with a massive performance yesterday shooting a a course record 60. At Pebble Beach, a sixty. He was minus ten through eleven holes with two eagles, just hitting fairways. He could do no wrong, and he heads into today with one shot lead, one shot lead over Ludwig Aberg. It's a delayed start today. Due to weather. But he's just. He win a major. He's continued his great play. He's actually a great. He was talking with Jim Nance. He's a great interview on the broadcast. And this is kind of Pebble Beach. The weather isn't good. There's big winds. The tournament was finished on a Monday last year. With Justin Rose winning it. But heading into today. You have Wyndham Clark minus 17, Ludwig at minus 16, Matthew Pavan, who won last weekend at the Farmers. He's two shots off the lead. He's playing in the final group again. Good for him. Minus 14, you have Mark Hubbard, Thomas Dietry, Scotty Scheffler, Tom Hoagie, Justin Thomas at minus 13, Jason Day. So some big names are still in the mix. We've seen some guys in some really good rounds. He could get hot and potentially win this tournament. But him yesterday was just on a whole other level. He was in no way competing for this trophy. But in put, he said, "You know, I put myself in position to potentially win on a Sunday. That's all you can ask for. And he'll be the last one teeing off today. But you have this, a fun Sunday at the Pro-Am, leading in to the the waste management on Thursday Arizona waste management goes all the way to Sunday afternoon that will lead you into the Super Bowl Sunday night fun stuff I'm all in love it can't wait to consume it all We'll be back Tuesday we'll talk about some some different things getting back to the NHL Back on the ice, some different uh, storylines heading into the Super Bowl. I will say, UFC Vegas 85 yesterday at the Apex. Fun little event. Some great stories. Charles Johnson, who was on a losing streak end. Meatball Molly McCant found ways to win. Johnson with with a split decision. Meatball Molly with a first-round armbar, a first career submission victory in the UFC. So huge victories for those particular individuals. Randy Ruboy brown nasty right-hand in the first round of Muslim Salakoff. He's won two in a row. He wants a shot against a ranked opponent. Calls out Michael Chiesa. Would love to see that fight later this year. Renato Moicano. Moicano wants money. Hasn't, had, had not fought since November of 2022. Was in a dogfight against Drew Dober. He gets the win, winning the first and third rounds. Great jiu-jitsu. Dober fought hard. That fight could have went either way. It goes to Moicano. And he's ranked. For him, there's a lot of different ways the UFC could go. They ha- they're having an event in uh, Brazil in May. And he speaks Portuguese. So I think he'd be huge. They need to get him there. They need to get him there. And I think he, he said he wants to fight. He's currently 13th in the rankings. If you look up, Dan Hooker doesn't have a fight booked. Dan Hooker had a broken arm. I don't know if he'll be back in time. Jalen Turner would be a fun fight. Benil, he called out Benil Dariush as well. Jalen Turner... I don't think it'd be hard to bring him down at that size. I think if I'm Jalen Turner, I'd take that fight. But I think Jalen wants to fight above in the rankings because everybody else is really booked otherwise, but good for Moicano. Drew Dober, still all time knockout leader at lightweight, extremely fun fight. And then in the main event, you got Nasherdine Imamov defeated Roman Duelitze. Interesting. Cause you have Chris Curtis who had fought Imamov and That fight was stopped due to a head clash. There was another one of these in this fight. So there's some bad blood between Team Alpha Male and what's happening over there with Imovov, who fights out of France. But he gets the victory. He had lost to Sean Strickland, but then he fought Curtis, technically got a win. Then he fights Roman Duelizze. So with that victory, that should bring him inside the top 10. Dulice's H, that should make him inside the top 10 of the middleweights in the UFC. I look at, for him, Brendan Allen's booked, Costa's booked, Vittori's booked. Jared Kanier is not, but I think they want to get Jared against Hamzat. Imovov versus Hermanson slash Joe Pfeiffer, who fight next Saturday at the Apex. I think Pfeiffer against Imovov would be a really fun fight to book after this one. We'll see, but he's very good. He's so big, so long, hard to get in front of. An impressive victory for him. But fight uh, Joe Pfeiffer and Jack Hermanson at the Apex in the main event next Saturday. Following week, it's UFC 298 in Anaheim, Volkanovski, Toporia. So that is upcoming as well. Fun show on a Sunday. Hope you guys enjoyed it. We'll be back Tuesday to break it all down. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. Just to the point.